Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. This is um, Paul who comes and begins to address the people of Corinth. And he's addressing the people of God as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's important. We, uh, Pastor Greg covered this last week in his uh, beginning address to the church of Corinth. And he calls them to be saints or holy ones. Believers in every age are set apart from the world and set apart for God. So set apart from the world and set apart for God. That's what Paul is, that's what the book of 1 Corinthians is really going to be all about. We say that this is a series, uh, you know, this year we're saying not playing church. Uh, a more official title that has come to me this morning is Life and Church by the Book. There we are. Um, so that's going to be the theme of 1 Corinthians because it was their theme, and I think it's a relevant theme to where we are today of not just being set apart from the world, but being set apart for God. And so during this time, there was this, uh, certainly a lot of conflict between Old Covenant and New Covenant. I think we see a lot of that today as well. But under the Old Covenant, God gives His people an elaborate system of ceremonies and observances that they are to, uh, to do and submit themselves to, and this served as a way to distinguish them from the rest of the world and to point them to Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. And so and then in the New Testament or the New Covenant, we have this, the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant has been sort of set aside in one way or fulfilled in Christ, and yet God continues to call his people to a morally and holy, respectable life distinct from the world. And that's the key, because that's what Paul is getting at. He is going to be teaching this sort of ethical teaching in, in some chapters, in some verses, and it is based on the validity that's already been established in the moral law of the Old Testament as the guide to the believer. So we do not believe that we just unhitch from the Old Testament, as some modern, current, cool you know, pastors say that we've just kind of left the Old Testament behind. We do not believe that. We just spent um, over a month going through the book of Joel, an Old Testament book that goes hard into judgment and those things. We're not afraid of those things. We don't shy away from that. God is still the same God that he was yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so we have this that the, in the first Corinthians or in this book, it helps us to understand more fully what God's pattern of holiness is for his people what it looks like, and how that pattern is tied to the saving work of Christ. So, spoiler alert, you cannot save yourself, right? Maybe, and I say we know this, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you came here and you were thinking, what are the things that I need to do to get to the presence of the Lord? And it is not your works. And yet God has called us to be a people who pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, and so throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul will emphasize that our resurrection hope is hope in Christ. 
that he is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest and the one through whom God has given us victory over death. That is Jesus. And so we're going to look at our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. If you would, just one last time, stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, his perfect and infallible word this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word. Let us pray this morning. Father, we give thanks once again, Lord, for the ability to come to this place, to hear your word, to worship you through song and through giving, through fellowship. Lord, I ask that you would bless the remainder of this service, the remainder of this day, that our eyes would be fixed upon you, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul begins this as he does some of the other books that he wrote through the inspiration and unction of the Holy Spirit by saying, I give thanks to God. I give thanks to my God. As he says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. I think it's important that we look at little moments like that, little verses like that, and say, okay, before Paul even gets into all that's going to be said in 1 Corinthians, and if you've read it, you know that these people are dealing with uh, all kinds of things. There's a, there's a lot of good things going on, and there is a lot of really heinous things that are taking place. And so Paul is coming and he's addressing this. I mean, these are a troubled people. Though they are the church and though they are a part of God's kingdom, they are, they are doing things and acting out in ways, and we'll, we'll uncover this a little bit today and much more going forward. But there is this, before he begins to unpack all of those things that he knows he's got to say, he begins with just gratitude. I think that's an, an important look as we look to the scripture, even in our own lives, and we look to ourselves in, in how we approach him in prayer or through the word or through worship, that we give thanks. In fact, that is the will of God for your life, is to be a person, a people who give thanks, who are grateful. Oftentimes we wonder, you know, what is the will? What is God's will for my life? God, what is, what is the will for me? What am I supposed to do? And a lot of times when we hear those words and we think like, what is your will? We often think of just the futuristic things. Well, God, if this is your will, like maybe I'm going to go into this and do this thing. And, and so we begin to get really stirred up about, God, where are you leading me? And God often doesn't show us those things. I mean, we get excited when someone's like, I got, you know, I've got this prophetic word maybe, or you got something that's, that's maybe going to predict the future for me. We get, some people get real obsessed about that kind of thing. What's going to happen? I mean, I like what Greg said about the revivals. We don't know. Does anyone, does anyone that's even there know what's going to happen next? No, we trust in the Lord who does. 
And so when it comes to God's will, he doesn't necessarily show us all the plans that are going to happen or that you're going to walk through. And I would say, be careful of the person who comes up to you and says, this is God's will, and then gives you information that hasn't happened yet. Be careful of that person. Because when it comes to God's will, it's not normally a futuristic thing. It is how God meets us presently. That it is His will that you are this. Let me show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. God's will in our lives. And so, uh, just so you know as well, each month we, the kids, memorize Scripture. And a lot of times, some of those Scriptures are so long that I get a little intimidated for them. But I don't, you know, I try not to freak them out or anything. I'm like, all right, here we go. We've got a lot of Scripture to do. And if you're not good at memorizing Scripture, then I would just, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 just memorize it. Rejoice always. That's it. Can you, you can handle that, right? It, if the kids can belt out verse after verse, we can handle rejoice always. In fact, all three of these verses wouldn't take you long to memorize. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God's, God, what is your will for me? Well, I can tell you, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, not in some circumstances, not in the circumstances that seems most appropriate to rejoice in, but in all things, trusting the Lord who is above all things. This is how life in church, by the book, this is what it looks like. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And so it is this attitude of thanksgiving that Paul releases before he begins even the, the rebuking that it not, must and does take place. But it is thanksgiving toward God that he says that we should begin with. And when you think about that in the text in particular of First Thessalonians here, in all circumstances, a question comes to mind for even myself and for you today, and that is, is your attitude of thanksgiving toward God, contingent on a trade? Is it meaning, do you feel that God owes you something before you can say thank you? Because if, if, if oftentimes the only place that we come to a, a moment of gratitude and thanksgiving before a holy God is when we get the job that we were asking for or the, the relationship begun that you wanted or the, the income was right. I mean, nothing wrong with giving thanks of all of those things. But what the kind of gratitude that is biblical, that is sound, that is here that we see in First Thessalonians or First Corinthians in particular, is that Paul knows what he's got to face in speaking to them, and he knows it's not going to be an easy conversation. But before he does that, he gives thanks. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German Lutheran pastor. Um, back in the 1930s and 40s, who died in a concentration camp at the age of 39 in 1945, trying to lead a rebellion against the Nazi party, okay? This is, this is the pastor that you want, right? The one that's going to go and fight for you, not just spiritually, but he's like, there's Nazis, right? Let's take them out. And he, and he ends up dying in this concentration camp, but it before then writes some amazing books. And I would encourage you to, to check out some of the stuff that he has written, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But he says one thing in particular about life. He says, an ordinary life, in your ordinary life, 
we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. And that is the only that is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. What he's saying is that you become grateful when you truly begin to see the abundance of blessing that God has already bestowed upon you. If, you're, if you listen to a pastor online who says you need to sow a seed in order to receive this blessing, they're missing it. Because they've, they've broken down God's blessing all, all the way down to this simple little thing of money. His blessings go far beyond just your financial prosperity. I mean, praise God that He blesses us beyond just monetary means. Amen? When you are grateful, you truly begin to see the abundance of blessing. I feel like I often take us to the garden in Genesis, and I I think we need to go there often because I think it's a perfect example of, of course, the fall because that's what takes place, but also just the the stirring in, in Adam and Eve's heart that leads them to that place of failure. And in the garden, we see this simple act of taking the forbidden fruit that God had said, this is the fruit you cannot touch, or this is the fruit you cannot eat. And he, they become ungrateful of what God had already given them. Isn't that true? That like, they see the enti- all the, the, the beautiful things that God has already created, and he says, just stay away from this one, and everything else is yours. And they become ungrateful. I'm certain that after the fall, they were, there was a, a reestablishment of perspective as to what they had. Sometimes something does have to be taken away from us to, for us to realize that was a blessing. We planted Mosaic in January of 2020. That should put a smirk on your face, right? Because we thought... You know, the road is clear. Like 2020, right? The year of vision. I saw a lot of churches doing that. Like perfect vision, 2020 is like, man, there couldn't have been a more of an astigmatism on the site of 2020 than had ever existed in any year that I had ever been a part of prior. And I remember before the pandemic even hit, I mean, you hear like the words of like, there's some stuff that's going to happen and you're just thinking, oh, you know, this will pass. Like they'll find another story, right? They'll find someone that's got to get canceled and everyone will focus on that and this will all just pass. Man, exhausting, wasn't it? And as we, we worked through that, I mean, before the pandemic even hit, I remember one Sunday we were uh, preaching at, uh, we were doing Sunday night services at the, Mot- at the Holiday Inn in Ashland. We were a church plant in Mechanicsville meeting in Ashland at a, at a hotel on a Sunday night. Whatever. It was glorious times. I really do think so. But on this day in particular, it was not glorious because some of you were there for this story. I was supposed to preach that night. I go out to have some Mexican lunch on a Sunday, as one does, right? And so I was there, and I was having lunch, and we leave the place and we're, riding, we're pulling out of the parking lot, and my, my son, who was, what, four years old at the time, five years old, he says something incredibly smart, Alec. And so I do the, the reach back, you know, swatch it on the leg thing. Well, when I do, my shoulder just goes, phew, completely out. Uh, they, I end up having to take an ambulance to the hospital. I've got 12 fractions all around this thing from a previous accident. It was horrible. Greg had to preach that night. I hear the sermon went pretty good. I don't think it's recorded because we, were, we weren't in recording days at that point. But all of that to say, the process of recovery, 
the process of realizing that if, if things are not connected correctly, you cannot physically lift your arm. There's nothing you could do about it. It made me realize that the mobility that I had in this shoulder and not in this shoulder was a major blessing. And so God showed me that, look, even the things that I've put, how I've put you together, how you're breathing today is a gift. If you're sitting here today in, in even a little bit of discomfort or pain physically, focus on what God has blessed you with in abundance. Don't be distracted. And so if you're having a hard time finding ways to be thankful, then I would say that you're guilty of overlooking many, many things. There is much to be grateful for. And so Paul begins it with gratitude. Begins this letter because we know and we'll see as we uncover the book of 1 Corinthians that there were things that were not going well. For instance, there was a lot of quarreling that was taking place. There was arguments among leadership and outside of the leadership. They were tolerating incest. They were suing one another perpetually. There was sexual immorality rampant. There was misunderstanding and mishandling of what marriage should be. There was eating uh, food that was sacrificed to idols. There was misusing, uh, misusing God's uh, supper, the Lord's supper. They were doing it in inappropriate ways or out of order. There was a feeling of superiority that the, the people of Corinth had because of the giftings that they were working in. Because by the way, they were operating in crazy amounts of gifts. Because you hear all of these things and you're like, wow, like they must really be connected and Paul is writing this letter to show the, the true disconnect. Let's look at our text again, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying you have been bestowed upon you even, I would say, strange amounts of gifts. They have been enriched with the all speech and knowledge. I mean, can you imagine? And just so you know, God hasn't mistakenly gifted these people. But it was the people who used the gifts in the way not intended. In fact, they had become so consumed with the gifts that they lost focus of the giver of the gifts. That you can, we can do that with anything, can't we? That someone, you can receive something from someone and become more consumed with the thing that they gave you rather than the person in which you received it. And this is where the church of Corinth resides in this moment. And so we can see, of course, ourselves throughout 1 Corinthians and how we can become easily distracted. The gifts that God provides His people are meant to be the means to an end and not the end itself. So like if you're pursuing gifts or if, if you're pursuing the, the, the things of the Lord, the, even the, the knowledge of His Word, it has to lead you to Him. Those are the means in which we go. Too often churches or even ourselves, we idolize the gifts of God. And if we're not careful, we can too fall into the same habit of looking to the wrong thing. 
This is what the church was doing. They were just looking at the wrong thing. I mean, that, I think it's important that, that Greg got up and just shared sort of our heart about where we don't know. We're just kind of seeing all this stuff, and I, we look at it and we say, wow, like, young people are gathering to worship a holy God. That seems good. I mean, I, the last few years, I've seen young people destroy cities and catch things on fire and riot in the streets, and now we have people that are gathering, worshiping. But that can get off track really quickly if it becomes man-centered. And so we pray. We pray for them, and we make sure that we pray for ourselves, that we say we look to Jesus. In fact, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. It it says that what was the, the joy that was set before Christ that led him to suffer his death Jesus endured the cross in anticipation of the joy of being the savior of his people and the the suffering was necessary. That's what we look to. We look to the savior who counted it necessary to suffer on your behalf. Look to Jesus, that Jesus is our reward. This is what the the author of Hebrews, if you go one chapter previous in uh, chapter 11, speaks of Moses looking to Jesus as his reward as well. Uh, 11 verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses' decision to forfeit the treasures of Egypt and to suffer the reproach of Christ should encourage those who have lost and maybe even those who have lost greatly or especially those who have lost, lost greatly. That as we even get distracted by our own suffering or we get distracted by our own thoughts or we are looking at lesser things, we should be focused on Jesus and be reminded that Moses, who had an abundance of wealth, left it for the sake of Christ. I would argue that most people And most people who call themselves Christians would give up God if it meant that they could just have his stuff. If I could have one or the other, God or his things, I'm going to take his things. That's what much of the world would say. And so they miss the truest treasure. Are you following me? They're they're missing the thing. Again, like... I'll bring up the, the revivals a couple of times because I think it's, uh, well, it's, it's where we're at as a, a culture, it seems, and maybe you've been following, and if you haven't, then bear with me. But again, when, when we see those things, and, and it's exciting, and rightfully so, I don't think there's anything wrong with excitement. I don't think there's anything wrong with emotion. I, I, don't, I don't know where we've even gotten to the point where we think that God is emotionless or that, or that we should be emotionless. God is not fickle and he's not confound to a one emotion that he is the same. But it can easily get off if the treasure is just in the atmosphere. Or if the treasure is just in a certain song or the treasure is just in a certain speaker or the treasure is just found in an experience. The treasure must be Christ. 
This is true of our hearts in regards to anything, that we fall in love often with lesser things. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, speaking of their sin, he says it's because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. He's like, you're worshiping and serving something. All of us are at all times, but oftentimes most of the world just settles with the creation. Everyone is blown away at the creation, aren't they? You don't have, an atheist can stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and say, unbelievable, beautiful. They might not attribute it to the creator himself, but they can, they can bask in the glory of his creation. And Paul is saying, you're missing the point. Yes, it's beautiful. But he is the one that should be exalted above all. So I ask you, like, well, what do you want out of life? What do you want? What, what, what is it that you, you show up and you, you come to service and we, we think on these things and we consider these things, but, but what do you want? I'll, I made a list because I knew I was preaching today. Uh, here's some things that I want. I want to experience uh, all that God has for me. I, I think that's, that is on my heart. I hope that that's on your heart too. Like, God, like, I want to experience all that you have for me. If you have something that is going to take me out of my normal routines, then let's do it. Or, God, if, if you just want me to find delightment in the mundane, I'm fine with that too. Maybe more fine with that. <laughs> That's where I find myself most often. I'd like to, 50 years from now, uh, I'd like to be 83 years old, because that's, that's how my homeschooled math works, and it, it is accurate. Uh, I'd like to be 50, uh, 50 years older at one point, 83 years old. I'd like, to, uh, I'd like through the pastors at Mosaic, who may not even be, have been born yet, 50 years from now, I'd like for them to allow me to preach every once in a while. That's, that's a goal of mine. I'd like to be an old man who you know, gets up and a little cranky in the pulpit. Uh, that is something I would love to do. I'd love to live a good, long, healthy life. I'd like to stay married to my wife the entire time. I want to grow old with her. I'd like to see my kids grow up and see them get married to someone who loves Jesus and that they would have children of their own. I'd like to travel the world. I want to see the Braves win another World Series. I really do. I really, I mean, one was good, two was better. I need more, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. Spring training starts this week for those that should already know, but, um, but you know what I really want? I want Christ to continue to be my highest treasure. That's what I want. I, above all of those things, and if those things go as planned, and, and hopefully most of, if not all of them do, that I want Christ to have continuously been my highest treasure. I don't care what's on my tombstone so long as it says he treasured Christ. Yes, I want to be enriched with the speech and the knowledge that we see that is happening here in Corinth. But if you have lots of knowledge of Christ, and you can still be missing the fullness of joy. Let me explain. Simply, you can know exactly how to lead your wife, men, and not do it. You can know exactly how to read his word and never apply it. You can understand fully that the holy life that he has called you to and what it is and yet not submit to it. You can seek after his gifts with passion 
And if that's all that you pursue, that might be all that you get. There is more to life than your wealth. There is more to his word than just stories and rules. There is more to God than even his gifts. Are you following me? There is more to God than even his gifts. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Famous passage some of you might be really familiar with. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What an amazing moment. Right? I mean, can you imagine being in the upper room and, and pursuing God not knowing what's going to happen? That's what I love about it is that we read the book of Acts and we already know like, all right, there's going to be these people that are going to gather and they're going to go to this upper room and, but, and we know what's going to take place, but they had no clue. They just trusted in the God who said, trust me. And they went there unified in mind knowing we want to see you move, God. It really is a, a redemption of Babel in Genesis 11. Of, of people coming together with, with one mind. I mean, there, there's unity. The world can possess unity. Satan himself can have unity amongst his followers. And in, in Genesis 11, you see the, the story of Babel where they, they come unified saying, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And then, of course, they're confused and set in, sent in separate ways. But here in Acts chapter 2, they come together and say, we want to know of the name that is above every name. Not a name for ourselves. We're not trying to, they didn't come out of there trying to come up with the best church policies or, or what color the carpet should be or any of those things. They came together declaring we are going to seek the face of God. And what did it produce? Look at verse, or stay in Acts for just a moment. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 Peter comes out and he begins to preach. And he preaches this Jesus, delivered up according to the, to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Praise God that he had said that he comes out of this amazing moment with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He preaches Jesus, the greatest treasure. He had just had this moment and he could have come out and, and, and began to shout of all of the experience and all of the stuff that had just happened, but that stuff, that amazing supernatural thing led him to the proclamation of Jesus. One of the greatest movies ever made, of course, is Nacho Libre. And in it, the main character, Nacho himself, thank you, uh, that's the, actually the biggest head nod I've ever gotten from Greg in a sermon. Um, the, the, uh, one of the, the, the main character, Nacho, played by the one and only Jack Black, he says, and it, it, he says a line that has stuck with me forever, uh, and that is, I want to taste the glory to see what it tastes like. 
right? And I could say it a lot better. I'll do that later after the service. I just, the recording, I don't want to mess it up. But I want to taste the glory, see what it tastes like. That was what he wanted. He just wanted to feel the glory. Well, the world glorifies power and dominion, force and physical strength, status and class. That, those are the things that Nacho wanted, right? And, and ultimately, that is our own heart, is that we want to we feel the success that the world feels. I want to feel the glory. I want to taste the glory, see what it tastes like. And yet Jesus, the greatest treasure, he blesses humanity with meekness, mercy, humility, what we learned last week in the text, mourning, purity of heart, and even persecution for righteousness' sakes. My point in question is, are you in it for His glory or for your own? Paul, when he's writing to the the Corinth people, he was asking these types of tough questions. He he says things like, I see your gifts and your knowledge, but sin is rampant here. So here's your warning. What you choose to sustain you will fail if it is not Christ. I I think that's simple enough. What you choose to sustain you will fail you if that thing is not Christ. Moses knew that his treasure was not in Egypt. And so I ask you today, where does your treasure lie? Money, family, friends, work, hobbies, church. Nothing that I've mentioned is bad, but they cannot be your highest treasure. They cannot be what sustains you. Let's get back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you. Not just for the moment, not just for the day, but he will sustain you till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else that you seek gives you that promise. Nothing, not your spouse, not your children, not the church, nothing. Nothing can give you the promise of I will sustain you until the end. Well, when is the end for a God that is eternal? It is forevermore, right? There is no end. That he will sustain us for, for, un, unto the end of this life and for all eternity we will be sustained by Christ Jesus. Psalmist says in Psalms 55.22, cast your burden on the Lord. and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. Well, why is this hard to believe? I'm sorry, why is this hard to receive at times? And I think the answer is uh, we don't fully believe it. I mean, we sing, we, and I think that's just being transparent and honest. I mean, we sing songs like, make my heart believe. Jesus is better, make me believe it. 
Like, I see these things, and, and like, you can say, like, yes, pastor, like, I agree 100%. Jesus is my ultimate treasure, and then we can go out into this world and be tempted to be led away by the things of this world as our highest treasure. Why is it hard to receive? Because it's hard to believe at times. Let me, um, I don't normally do illustrations, but I'm going to. And no, this is not um, mine and Greg's chairs just for any jokes that decide to come out. Just gonna, I, I wanted to cl- clear that before you started thinking you were clever. I already knew it. Okay, Danny, I knew it wasn't my chair. <laughs> already took it, talking and acting like I'm dressed for Christmas today. Maybe a little bit. And you didn't see my socks either, but. Anyway, so. <clears throat> We have this, uh, this idea of, all right, God, Jesus is our greatest treasure. Yes. Help me believe this. I want us to just kind of pretend that this chair right here I built. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm not a craftsman. I could never do that. But let's just pretend that this is my creation, my thing, what, what I've done, my work, my, my pride, my joy. Like, I made this. It supports me, and it does. I'll show you. adjustable. It supports me. And I can, I can sit here and I can feel kind of comfortable, but it, ultimately I can say, I made this and this is mine and this is what I'm, I'm excited to have. And I can sit in this chair that is clearly not equipped for me. And I can talk about this chair a lot, and I can say wonderful things about it, how it's nice and it's, it's comfortable and it's ergonomically made and it has probably lumbar support and it's got wheels and it can swivel and it can do all of these things. And I can testify of that being the better suited thing for me and choose to never rest in it. I can, I can just sit here and just, and just say like, what, have you seen this thing? It's way better than anything that you could ever create. It's way better than, you, you can rest in it and really have some rest in it. And it's made specifically with you in mind. And all the while, just be sitting here, uncomfortable. And maybe even on Sundays, I'll sit here. I'll just be like, all right, yeah, this actually is very nice, very comfortable. And I can sit back and I can relax and I can say, this is my greatest treasure. And then on the way home, I'll just sit right back in this bad boy for the rest of the week. And this is where I'll sit. And I'll, and I'll, but I'll always talk about how this is the better thing. I can sit in a chair that is clearly not equipped for me, claiming to trust this and completely miss the point. This chair was not meant to sustain me. My point is, is that the things that you treasure the most outside of Christ cannot sustain you. In fact, it's far more foolish than this illustration. Because we, we can giggle about this chair and how it doesn't fit me well, and yet we can walk out of here and make our sports team or make our jobs or make anything number one in our lives and laugh at the illustration. But 
So I would say, in what areas are you not trusting the Lord to sustain you? In what areas have you tricked, has the enemy tricked your heart into thinking that what you have created is enough or is best? Has the enemy convinced you that your creation, that the things that sustain you, that your bank account, that your home, that your car, that your spouse is the thing that you should take the most pride in, the thing that will sustain you? Again, I'm not saying anything wrong with all of these things. But it isn't the thing. The enemy tries to trick our hearts into thinking or to just worshiping a lesser thing. Just, just so you know, Satan does not care if you become a Satanist. You don't have to like, go to an altar and sacrifice a goat for the church of Satan to not be in the, the, the place of the Lord. He just wants you to fall in love with something else, anything else. It can even be a good thing. It just isn't a God thing. He just to say, I, I, you can fall in love with anything that you want to. There have been times, in, and I think in my own life, actually, there have been times, I can say this, I know myself, there have been times in my life where I have been more in love with the church than I have been him, serving. I've been, I've been pastoring since I was 17 years old, way before I should have. I've been preaching sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, and there were some times I was just in love with the preaching. There, were, there have been times in my life, if I'm honest with you, that if I didn't have a pulpit to stand in, I didn't want to be there. Just me being honest. Are you guys okay with that? There are times where if I didn't have a responsibility in the church, I would have been as far away from it as possible. Why? Because I misplaced my treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like the man who finds treasure in a field and then buries the treasure and goes and sells everything that he has. Where the world will say, you are a fool for selling everything. But he sold everything so that he could buy that field. Be a sellout. And so we're still just in the greeting of this book, 1 Corinthians, and Paul is beginning this letter with a clear example of who sustains who. This is why God's word is of highest importance. His word of highest importance. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that, man, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, this is why we, we stand at the, the beginning of services just to honor the reading of God's word. We want you to know that when the, when the word is being spoken, something very special is taking place. And so God's word has to be of the highest importance in our life. Because it is God who sustains. So I would urge you today, do not put your hope in the things that you have created in the things that you have earned, the things that you have been given, even when they are good things. It is not his purpose that you rely on his gifts 
to sustain you, but rather that those gifts point you to the greater reality, Him. So we have this, again, this beautiful moment in Pentecost that we've read. It, doesn't, it shouldn't lead us for a need to replicate it or lead us to think that gifts are greater than God himself. The reason why Peter comes out and preaches Christ crucified is because that is what the Holy Spirit leads you to. We talk about these revivals, and I'll say it one last time. If Christ isn't being proclaimed, then it's just fun. And it's not a working of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't cause people to run around and act like chickens. doesn't. I've been to those services. It doesn't cause people to, to go insane. It causes people to preach Christ and Him crucified. So lastly, let me, we speak of Jesus and we say, Lord, help me believe these things. Help, you, help me, Lord, to have Jesus as my highest treasure. And then we might ask, well, but why? Why do I need him? Because you're unfaithful. That's why. Because we are unfaithful. We go back to the, to the chair again and, and we convince ourselves, we convince ourselves that that's the right place for me. That this is the place that I'm most comfortable. I remember this wood. I remember making it. I remember putting, like, I remember my creation. This is where I feel the safest. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, But God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful. People ask me, well, what, 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 do I need, what do I need to do to be saved? Be perfectly holy. Be perfectly righteous. Be perfectly pure. Be perfectly faithful. And when you are not, because you will not be, know that God is faithful. And it is, it, it is if his faithfulness that sustains us. It's his faithfulness that, that leads us to gratitude, to say, like, I can really enjoy this meal or I can really enjoy this conversation. God is faithful. Can you put that text back up on the screen, Dale? Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I know we don't, we don't really ever do this, but can you say just the, the first three words of this with me, that God is faithful? Can we say that together? God is faithful. We say it one more time. God is faithful. Help my heart believe. God, help me believe it because I am so quick to jump back to this. I am so quick to just rely on my own understanding and on my own knowledge and on my own effort and my own works. You have been invited to the chair or fellowship. And it is this fellowship, or may I just use this analogy? It is this chair that was, that was not built by your hands because your hands were not being, your hands were not willing to be pierced. 
but God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.